welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoyed listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hi everyone, thanks for listening today. As you know, I'm doing a series of podcast conversations between sort of September through to Christmas time with women that I've met in the last sort of year or two, some of I've known a little bit longer, who have been through their midlife transformation and found it to be a really powerful time for them in terms of coming home to their authentic selves, but also making big shifts in their life in terms of career or decisions that they want to make. And today I'm very happy to have Dr. Beth Claxton with me. Hi, Beth. Hi. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so interesting that you're that our conversation before this is like we should have been having that during the recording. Yeah. Well, yeah. we can get back into it. Beth is a medical doctor who's board certified in obstetrics and gynecology. And she also carries a certification in functional medicine through the Institute for Functional Medicine. She's part of a worldwide movement for sick care. This is the current paradigm, moving from sick care to healthcare, which is the future of medicine. Through transformation training, she's positioned herself to be a leader in this field, as well as transforming each patient one by one to become their own best caretakers. Her two young adult daughters are making their own waves in the world and she lives and breathes in breathtakingly beautiful northern Arizona. I have never been there, but I hope to visit one day. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. My sense is it's got exquisite nature like we have in Australia. Yes, and there are no um, highway signs, no billboards. Um, Arizona has... Uh, a law that there are no billboards on the highways because it, it's just far too beautiful yeah to look at to advertise on I like that it's beautiful mm-hmm. Beth you I mean you've been making we, we met sort of earlier in the year and mm-hmm. you've been making um, some big changes in your life in the last couple of years mm-hmm. what's been your path tell us a little bit I mean why did you become a doctor and what's been your path to where you are today because you've invested a lot of time in the last couple of years retraining and exploring Mm -hmm. moving from allopathic to a more functional mode of medicine so tell us a little bit about you and what's been your journey to where you are here Mm. today so I was young when I knew I was going to be a physician and it was like there was no other option. I, I think it, before age 13, it was like, you know, am I going to be a dancer? Am I going to be an actress? And I, I thought about being an archaeologist. And then once like, once I decided to go into medicine, I was locked in. And a super determined vision. And then I got to medical school and it was the only thing that, you know, it's like, why am I here? Like, I, I, this is kind of weird. I'm not I didn't feel aligned with a lot of the people there. And then I um, 
realized that I was going into OBGYN because that was the only field that was like, that really lit me up. So I did OBGYN and then um, I was con consistently drawn to the holistic part of it. So I would always go off with the midwives and see what they were doing because it was different. Yeah, It wasn't, it was more nurturing. Yeah. And then I did some third world medicine and I was always interested with what are the herbs that they're using and they've got to be using them because they work. Right. Yeah, and I, I still, I've, I'm moving in a in less than a month and I've been packing boxes and coming across like these books of herbs that I bought um, from foreign countries where I was just mm -hmm. trying to figure out their, their medicine. And then I had a board certification in, in obstetrics and gynecology and then um, realized that I had an injury um, from running that I had been working with for decades, really, probably a couple of decades. And um, I went to see an acupuncturist and she said, well, I don't think the problem's in your knee. I think it's in your liver. And I was like, what? Okay what are you going to do about it? So she put some needles in me like, okay, so this is going to help the liver, you know, whatever. And the next day I ran for like two hours, no problems. <laughs> There's something to this. Yeah. So I, I became super curious and, and then, you know, one thing led to another, I got into meditation and then teach mindfulness-based stress reduction. And when I first took that class, it, I just said, oh my God, this is the missing link. This mind-body connection is so strong. And uh, I went out for a run one day, it's still running. And um, the I heard a voice. I hear voices a lot. I heard a voice that said, you're, you're going to open a wellness clinic, a, an alternative medicine clinic in, in Flagstaff. And I said, okay. And then I started talking to people and talked to someone that said, well, if you're going to do that, you need to um, study functional medicine. So I looked it up right away and I got certified super fast, like, yeah, during lockdown and, and then um, opened my clinic. Yeah, I was terrified to take in my resignation letter to the clinic where I was. Mm. And then I did. And then I felt completely liberated. Like, okay, this is happening. And this is, this is what I do and yeah so the the space that I had initially you know had the vision of um wasn't the initial space that I started in mm -hmm. and I think now I'm in the space that I envisioned because I joined forces with some other healers and, and they they're in a physical therapy realm and so we have this beautiful building in downtown Flagstaff and we have an art therapist there and beautiful a massage therapist who does lymph massage there's an esthetician um there's a chiropractor that does uh non non-narcotic pain relief fantastic yeah so they all get the body mind connection the body workers see it for sure don't they yeah yeah so that's my that's my little place and then i went um to sedona beautiful sedona in january and I got out of the car and there's another voice and it said, this is where you're going to do your work. And so mm -hmm. 
You moving there? I'm moving. I'm moving down there. It's 20 minutes. It's 20 miles. It's about a 50 minute, 45, 50 minute drive. I'm going to commute back and forth a couple of days, but yeah, there's some, there's something really magical about Northern Arizona for me mm. and um, the healing powers and tuning into it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my journey. And, and then doing these summits that I've been doing, how I met you. Yeah. It's, it's really um, transformed my practice from more of, from where I was doing like a lot of physical and lab analysis and really heady um, medicine, functional medicine to uh, a more heart centered approach. I feel like my practice is now moving into my heart and it's about definitely about the imbalances and addressing those and the attitude that we bring to that and the connection that we have with ourselves and with others and yeah and the earth and the world and nature and yeah yeah well the relationship the therapeutic relationship is such is the most important part of the healing really isn't it like Mm -hmm. the connection and and I always sort of go back to my somatic experiencing training and think well you know trauma happens in the absence of a compassionate witness so healing has to occur Mm. in in the presence of a compassionate witness that's beautiful it is beautiful and you know like because people always say to me yeah I'm doing these like Vegas nerve exercises or these somatic exercises Uh, and I say well yes great they are great but remember and I tell them that statement you know the healing occurs in the lack of so you need that so can you do both can you do both because it's a stress cycle that you know we need to we need to work on the stress cycle that's been interrupted because our body knows how to heal it has this innate wisdom and you know our nervous system is our surveillance system where our autonomic nervous system is and so often it's just the the fight flight freeze you know there's a disruption there and that's why occurs but I think it's so that's a Peter and that's from Peter Levine he says that but we you know we talk about it in the training all the time um Mm. and so and I see it over and over again where you know just that attunement and relationship so important isn't it you would see it in your work with your patients you know when you're able to tune in from the heart right right it's just, yeah. So it, it explains so much because there there are, I do have encounters with patients and all they do is come in and they talk and we like, we get nothing done. It feels like a therapy appointment and, and they say, thank you. You've done so much. And I just think, okay, this is, just thing. This is their medicine. To. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Yeah. So how has midlife for you, like how has midlife been for you from a, like I like I said, mm. this is, you know, I think it's such a transformational time for people and we talk, all we talk about often is menopause symptom, the physical side, which I think is just the tip of the iceberg and there's so much going on underneath and even, you know, I've had clients who I've done relationship coaching with and things like that and they're like, oh, menopause, no problem, you know, and then, and then once we get into it, like the reason that we're there is because actually it's the midlife transition and just, you know, calling them back to their body and to be their most authentic selves and learning how to, you know, care for themselves. And 
I love the story um, of Hestia, the Greek goddess, or in Roman called her Vestia, but she was the goddess of the hearth and she had to keep the fires burning. So in the house when everyone came home, you know, everything was, the food was there and everything was great. And I often think that this time in our lives is, is our journey around that goddess of Hestia, like how do we learn how to take very good care of ourselves and keep our fire burning within us? Mm. so so I'm curious how it was for you because you know you have made some changes and when I hear you talk about your story and you know there was like a deep sense of quiet inner knowing in you from a very young age of where your path would be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah tell me a little bit about that for you Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember how old I was when the divorce process started, but I know that I was definitely having perimenopausal swings. So I'd say about a year, once the divorce was final, the period started getting irregular. And and then I remember maybe a year later having waking up just sweating mm. and thinking, wow, what's this? Oh, and I do remember one time in that time before that night sweat, uh, I was working, I was on labor and delivery, I was sitting at the computer and I had this hot flash mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, and then I felt this immense sense of calm Amazing. and it was like a signal, like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's not going to be horrible. And I felt, I thought, wow, I'm not going to have like those hormones surging you know creating a menstrual cycle it's going to be like smooth so I wasn't sure I didn't know if I was going to do hormone replacement therapy we were still listening to the women's health initiative craziness and I knew that there were people that did alternative and bioidentical things and I was still trying to find my place with that. And, um, I was, I'd started studying functional medicine and we, I go to meetings and bring my labs and people would sit around and we'd consult together. And Mm -hmm. I, I said, okay, yeah, I'll go on some HRT. And it, it was super helpful. Mm -hmm. It was really helpful. And now about a year ago, I was consulting with someone I'm now doing all topical hormone replacement therapy. And he said, I think you need to be on some testosterone. And I I said, Oh, I don't want to be on testosterone. And he said, I I really think it would help you. And I said, okay, I'll try it. And I emailed him two weeks after I started on on the testosterone. And I said, I don't know where I was, but I'm back. (laughs) 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 And I feel like I, I feel supported and I was feeling like super alone and sorry for myself. You know, the testosterone has really, I just, I feel support. I feel like I can stand alone. And, and the side effects that we look for with testosterone too much overdose would be like chin hairs, acne, anger, all of this, none of that, none of that. And I'm, I'm, I've hired an athletic coach to get mm. me back in shape. And I, I, I feel so good. Yeah. So good. 
and and so that's like the physical part and then I'd say probably around the time that I got divorced I started doing the Marie Kondo clearing process Mm. and started clearing things and that was nine years ago and now I'm like full on like getting rid of the family heirloom furniture like Mm. it's out (laughs) I'm getting it down to a small pile of boxes yeah that is so fascinating that is so liberating yeah, as I'm in a similar an, space in terms of clearing shit out. It's like yeah, literal, I, and it's literal and 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 somatic as well, isn't it? Yeah, and and I'll get rid of something, and then an event will happen, or uh, I I can't remember exactly the I prog you know the, the steps to this, but I I got rid of a bunch of things, and then an old boyfriend came back. <laughs> or I'll get rid of a that. bunch of things and then money will come in. Yeah, it's yeah, like, I love that. Okay, I like this. Yeah. I like this. How little can I live on? Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. I'm in a similar space. I'm like, don't need all that stuff. Let's get rid of it. No. My husband keeps saying to me, don't throw that out. Don't throw it. <laughs> he, he likes to fall. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, that's amazing. It. And it's brought you back to, you know, before um, we started recording, you know, we were talking about, mm. you know, how the shift from the Western medicine into more functional mode, into more healing rather than sort of dealing with sickness. Mm. I always call it when I do sort of corporate consulting work, you know, we've got to do some deep shifts here. It's not band-aids and post-it notes, right? And I guess in in the sort of medical sense, you were saying that you felt a lot of the time when you were treating it was that sort of band-aids and post-it notes approach, but obviously with drugs and, you know, different approaches mm-hmm. and that healing mm-hmm. happens in so many different layers. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you were telling, when you were talking about your call when you were younger, it was it, what was occurring to me was, oh, like she's sort of gone full cycle and now she's coming back to that person that she was when she was sort of 11, 12, 13 and that that kind of that deep knowing inside, that calling that she had. It's like, oh, she's she's come back to that place and it's and it makes me laugh because I always think, I said this to a friend, a friend of mine who's a journalist, she's a brilliant writer and she's very poetic in many ways and she said to me two years ago, mm-hmm. Thing I've realized because I said, Oh, look, it's like um, when we start menstruation, it's like a bookend, like a, and then you know, menopause is like the, another bookend, and there's that part of our life, and then there's the before and then the after. And as you were talking, I was like, Oh, that's you know, that's that bookend story again. How she we, we sort of go like this, and then we go all over the place, and then we come back, and then we go along, and yeah, does that resonate? Like, I'm thinking, Oh, she's just 100%. She's on a path. 100%. It's like we can have fun and engage with the world and with nature. When we're young, we can do that now. But in that bookend part, we get to populate the world. Yes. That's our that's our duty. Yes. You know, and it, no judgment against 
you know, about people that don't have children, but that's a woman's like, that's why they're women on the planet to populate. And um, yeah, we have a strong sense of that. And then once that's done, we don't, it's, that's over. Yeah. And then caring for my daughters and watching them go off into the world that, you know, the empty nesting, that's another form of release and downsizing. How has that been for and, you, putting the, the chiclets fly free? And... Um, I did a Facebook post about it not that long ago that uh, I used to think that mothers that couldn't, that couldn't cope were kind of lame. Mm. <laughs> and I apologize because this is physical. Yeah. What happens is truly physical and it was emotional. I remember going to the grocery store before my daughter left for college. It was like a day or two before she left for college and thinking like, oh, she needs milk for her coffee. No, she doesn't. Oh, she needs frozen fruit for her smoothies. No, she won't be here. Mm-hmm. She likes rice cakes. No, we don't need to get those for her because she she's not going to be here. She's going mm-hmm. to school. And that mm-hmm. was a teary moment in my grocery store. And now I see, I went to see her a couple of weeks ago at school and she's just thriving, mm. making, and, and I'm completely fine. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of grief there, isn't there? There is. And I'm, I might be not allowing it so much because I am moving and packing and relocating and then using that as a distraction. Yeah. We'll see when see how you go. Yeah, I mean, grief is such. We think that we we can only. I don't know why. It's a cultural thing that you know we only grieve when someone dies, but grief is such a critical part of every transition because it helps us let go. And I always say to clients, like it's the tears of the grief that kind of lubricate and give us that flow to kind of move on and let go. Um, Mm. and we don't like. We don't have the sticky fingers of clinging on when the tears come out because it sort of makes everything moist. You think of it metaphorically that way mm. and that it's healthy, like a healthy yeah. kind of response. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, do you think in general, because you work with a lot of, being a gynecologist, you work with a lot of women, do you think right. midlife is a powerful time for women? I think it can be. Mm. I think women's power has been taken away from them mm-hmm. by um, withholding hormone replacement therapy as an option or making them fearful mm. and thinking that they have a family history of cancer and they just aren't going to take hormones because they don't want cancer. When in reality, their quality of life is going to be so much better. Mm. I'm, I'm living for quality of life. I'm not living afraid that I'm going to get cancer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, and honestly, it isn't really linked. Yeah. I had, um, Fatima Khan. I don't know if you've come across her. She's a, she's actually based here in Melbourne. She's British doctor that immigrated here Mm -hmm. and she's a menopause specialist. Mm -hmm. And she talked, she get like went into detail about the studies and talking about it. But there's a lot of stigma um, 
in society about that that if we take it like we're we're failed or we're not strong enough or there's all this mm-hmm. implicit messaging around it and then of course the the health risks yeah and i sort of feel like i know with a lot of clients even though i sort of tend to do somatic work and the deep sort of body mind connection and dealing with emotions but there's a whole body literacy piece that's that so many women just in this is my personal opinion need to sort of go and, and learn and read if not for their own sort of empowerment and agency sense of agency in terms of I say to my clients, do you want to have like good collaborative conversations with your doctor? Like, do you want to, do you want this to be a collaborative? Like, or do you just relying on them as the expert and just telling you what to do? Or, or, and then you're getting resentful or do you want to learn so you can go in there and have a decent conversation? It can be a collaboration between the two of you. Right. That's, like, what, that's do you want? what I, that's what I look for. Yeah. And I have had quite a few women who really have turned their trajectory around for their life from now till the end by, you know, either changing, doing a functional medicine analysis and making adjustments that affect inflammation or um, taking hormone replacement therapy and, and really sprucing themselves up. Yeah, and even just, you know, I think food and diet is a really big part of it as well mm-hmm. at this point mm-hmm. in life. And then mm-hmm. what food, like, well, I would say, A, learning about hormones first, like what are they? Because I think what I'm noticing with a lot of people, when they in their head, their mental model of hormones is just sex hormones basically. And so I know when I'm working with clients, I'm like, well, no, you've got like your stress hormones and insulin and um there's you know the stomach hormones leptin and ghrelin and this is you know that how they all interact and here's the hierarchy and um it's important to know this and you know from a sexuality perspective because the the adrenal glands take over the production of estrogen when the ovaries stop i always say to them so just remember the job of your nervous system is to keep you alive and safe right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. what's your body going to prioritize when uh, you're really, really stressed, what hormones is it going to make? Oh, yeah, stress hormones. Okay. It will always prioritise managing, keeping you alive over procreation. It's just a biological imperative. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And so learning to manage your stress, what stresses you, what triggers you, what are your glimmers, Mm -hmm. Like, let's just bring it back to kind of the basics because I kind of think, I mean, obviously I'm biased in, in terms of my professional training, but I always think, like, nervous system is like human body 101, like learn it, and we don't get taught any of this. Or we haven't been because it's a relatively new approach, this mind-body approach, right? Yeah. And when yeah. I say new, yeah. it's like, you know, Peter Levine's work is he's from the 80s, 90s, when he was, or the 80s, sorry, 70s and 80s when yeah. he was doing his right. research. That's new really because... It takes like 17, 18 years for research to get through to sort of action. Is that right in the medical world? Oh, 
it takes a really, really long time. It's been 20 years since the Women's Health Initiative study. Yeah. And we're only now starting to like read the methods and materials and realize that their math was not good and their statistics and their interpretation was not not on, not yeah, spot on. Stuff. And something I want to add to your um uh, your comments is I I I have found that exercise, like everyone's focusing yes. on diet, exercise is super, super important. And one thing that I learned, and I'm working with a coach now, is I was, and she specializes in perimenopause and menopause. So she knows how to train women athletically Ooh, I love that. at that stage of life. And I was like going all out for 30 minutes as hard as I could, thinking that was my exercise. The next day I would be like, so worn out, I could only do yoga. Mm. And then I'd do it again. And what she had me doing is two things. There might be three. No, two, eat 30 minutes before you exercise. Something little. I have a date now. I have a big box of dates. I have a date or two, 30 minutes before I exercise. I realized that I'm hungry in the morning. I mm. thought I was, that the intermittent fasting was good. And doing mm. that, and then stressing my body with exercise was so you're putting wiping, it into a stress response. I was wiping myself out, and then she also has me running. Like I started running really, really slowly, and like the last now I'm in a recovery week, which is just slow, steady exercise. I went running yesterday, and I would run, and I'd realize, oh, my heart rate's getting too high, and then I'd stop and I'd walk. And then I'd run and then I'd walk just to keep my heart rate in that zone because I knew that I'm out, I'm getting exercise and I don't want to stress my body out. I want to condition it and give myself a good foundation. That's been huge. That's been really huge. Yeah, that resonates a lot. I mean, my I, I've been doing a lot of exercise. Well, I always have done a lot of exercise, but because I mm-hmm. went through cancer treatment, probably the time, you know, just before I was going to hit the actual menopause anyway, and that put me into menopause. And I lost a lot of muscle mass because of chemo. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been, you know, trying to build my muscle back up because of that. But also I sort of was in my mind like the whole insulin resistance thing yeah. and and I had a great um, I've done really intensive clinical Pilates for the last four years and I'm just taking a break from it at the moment because sometimes I get to get a bit bored. But talking to the exercise mm-hmm. physiologist about it and she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, exercise is really good for insulin. You've got to build those new pathways for the body to use glucose and then, you know, da, 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 and then just changing my food order a little bit and eating all the vegetables first and then the protein and then, the, you know, the carbs at the end. And I think also probably wasn't eating enough carbs and Mm. not only have I noticed that I'm sleeping better as I've kind of brought them back in but my nervous system is like I'm not having that that sympathetic edge right and as I'm eating the carbs because it soothes you know the carbs soothe the nervous system um But, yeah, like training differently to how I trained in my 20s because, like you, I used to go full throttle. Right. And now I'm just like, actually, I've just got to, like, keep it down a few gears 
and I can sustain it longer. Yeah. So we really have yeah. to change. Change. Well, we need to. I was thinking, we like I'm doing weights because I want to have good bone health when I'm older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we need to change the way we do it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the I also want to just say that the muscle mass is really important for glucose regulation and yeah. testosterone production. So yes. that's super important. And yeah, my trainer has me like doing these long, slow base runs. And then she has me doing sprints. She has me going up a staircase with one leg, hop, 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 to like really get the fast twitch muscle fibers. Yeah. So, oh gosh, the first time I did a sprint after about maybe two months of doing training with this program, I was amazed. I thought, are those my legs? Like they're running fast. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, being smart about it. And there's there's a lot of new information about athletics in perimenopause and menopause. It's just like the menopause explosion. And yeah, people are are learning. There re- there's a lot of research in this. Where would you start looking if you were interested in this? If someone's listening mm. to podcasts, where would be good sources they could go to? Well, I know my coach, Element, let me look and see, Athlete, Athlete Project 51, Okay. Midlife Athletic Females. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like, well, I actually think the four pillars, I mean, I think that you're the doctor, but I always think, particularly in this time, diet, exercise. Mm-hmm understanding your body's stress response and you know and a lot of that comes back to like what's been stored in there for years as well which is the work that I do and then sleep can we talk about sleep a little bit because what Mm -hmm. I've realized is and my husband's got really into it as I have been I've been reading a lot about sleep Matthew Walker's book on sleep I don't know if you've read it but he's the sleep scientist I heard him on Huberman's podcast but sleep and, and, of course, so oh, many yeah. women have problems with sleep at this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I found just a few supplements for me, like taking magnesium before I go to bed and I take ashwagandha as well, but that I had to look at really understand my circadian rhythm and get a sense of when, you know, the melatonin was kind of kicking in at night naturally and and just a few things like I wear the blue glasses you know, when I'm talking to you, obviously, but or in my work all the time, made a massive difference. I, because I work online so much um, with my work, when I started wearing the blue light glasses, I just wasn't tired at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So that made, like, my eyes weren't as tired. I was able to kind of relax and just not watching. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do read a lot. So if I watch TV, not to do it like right up until my bedtime. I seem to settle better if I just watch a little bit, but everyone's different. Mm-hmm. But learning about my circadian rhythm and my sleep cycle, anyway, my husband sort of got into it because I was talking to him about it and he's got quite fastidious and he'll come in at like 9.30 and go, okay, we're going to bed now, turn off the light. And um, we're both, we have become 
obsessed with the, our sleep and the quality of our sleep and, you know, all yeah. like using strategies with each other, some somatic strategies that I've taught him. If we kind of wake up at three, like how do we, because, you know, that's the time. We call it the psychological witching hour when people are processing at 3 a.m. and that's why they wake mm. up how we get ourselves back to sleep so that we both get a good sort of eight hours, at least eight hours a night and and yeah. good quality. So you and I were talking about before, like getting good quality sleep, like that deep rest is so important. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my bedtime routine is it's almost like a mantra for me and there are times that I fall off of it for sure. Mm. <clears throat> it's It's sacred. It's, it's as sacred as getting up and meditating in the morning. I dim the lights. I don't, I don't really listen to music a whole bunch unless I'm doing like binaural beats. And, and I'll put those on to really calm me. If I'm really, if I know it's been a big day or my body is sore, um, Epsom salt bath. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect time for the salt lamp. And if there's time and um, if I'm, when I'm really dedicated, I pull out the bolster and I do some restorative yoga Mm -hmm. and just let my body fall into that bolster pillow and Mm -hmm. surrender. And that's been amazingly good for the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And then there, there are nights that I've really taken care of myself and, and, you know, getting the blue light off at least an hour, but you but better is two hours before. Mm. If I have no blue light exposure, then I'm starting to get tired. Yeah. Eating well, not eating after like five or 6 PM, getting three liters of water in me in Northern Arizona is kind of dry mm-hmm. at, in the day. And um, let's see if there's anything else. Oh, if I do laundry, I dump it on the bed because I know that if I'm folding laundry, I'm not going to be looking at my phone. Um, and that fine, there's yeah. no no blue light exposure when you're folding laundry. And yeah. I make it like a meditative process. That's really relaxing. And then I do have a sleep pad that cools. That's been great. What are they? I don't know what a sleep is. Um, Huberman does advertise oh, I, them. Okay. Sleep eight. And then there's also, uh, mine is called an Uler, O-O-L-E-R. And they're these, you can set the temperature, the temperature of how cold you want it to get to keep your body cool. So it can help that. 3 a.m. awakening when yes. the body's cortisol starting to go up. Uh, getting ready for waking and especially if there's any cortisol dysregulation and you're starting to like have a premature elevation in cortisol i think that that cooling helps keep everything nice and calm so i i dial it in to get pretty cool at like midnight to two three just to keep me a really good idea that's often time a lot of people wake up with a night sweat as well right Mm mm-hmm yeah exactly and that's liver liver yeah. time too so you know looking at time. detoxification and I, I also sleep with a weighted blanket yeah so do i oh, they put on yeah oh and i rub my feet 
rubbing your feet with just some lotion, or if you don't have any lotion, just rubbing them with your hands. If you have lotion, if you have essential oils, that's bonus connecting, connecting with your feet. What does that do? I think it relaxes me. I just try to get in all the sore spots and the tight yeah. spots and release them because they're all I suppose from reflexology. an acupuncture perspective, yeah. like the foot has the map of body, right. doesn't it? In it. it does. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, that quality sleep is is sort of critical and all those elements together, the sleep, the stress management, the diet, exercise, I feel like the things that we need to learn about, I call it body literacy, but mm. I don't know, you might have another word for it, but it's, okay, if you if you sort of learn a little bit more about all of that stuff, because like I always say to everyone, this is sort of my little mantra, I think, you know, there's many, many things about midlife. It's so transformational regardless of gender, but um it's such an inflection point from a health perspective and it's such a learning point. And how can we learn about all of that so that we can set ourselves up to live really well in our second half of life? Mm. Yeah. I have a 10 week Ayurveda course that teaches like it. We talk about plant-based diet. We talk about how to eat, but we don't really talk about diet. You talk about choosing your food when you go to the grocery store because it's talking to you yeah you talk about buying what buying what vibrates with you yeah you talk about sleep you talk about self-massage yeah beautiful you talk about waking with the sun meditation doing some exercise yeah and i love that class yeah fantastic do you want to tell us about sorry taping your mouth do you ever tape your mouth? I haven't. I probably need to. I, I have been doing a lot of, um, I did a course around lymphatic massage and then mm-hmm. the guy went to this whole thing about mouth and the tongue and you know, mm. I've been doing a lot of tongue exercises. didn't realise mm. how stiff the muscles in the back of my neck were. Um, so as I've been doing this, I'm feeling my back of my neck muscles loosen up and just noticing my tongue position mm. in my mouth then I also saw these tapes that kind of go like this mm-hmm. so the mouth's sort of not taped but they make it sit like that anyway my mm-hmm. issue with tape I'm not making excuses is I'm very sensitive to tape mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I have to find stuff like I even a lot of um tapes that are meant for sensitive skin I get a rash out of so I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to find something that I can use that is not going mm-hmm. like I if I give blood and they, they put just like normal, that normal tape over me just for 20 minutes, I come out in blisters. So that's my challenge. I'd like to. Okay. I'll let you know yeah. if I see anything. Yeah. Do, yeah. Just to finish off, do you want to tell, yeah. um, you, you've got your detoxifying menopause conference coming up soon. Mm, yeah, do you want to tell definitely. everyone a little bit about that and what what that is all about and what type of speakers you're going to be having on there? Yeah. Thanks. So I, I've had a couple summits and I really started becoming interested in detoxification because there are things like the hot flushes. I think then they happen at liver time. Why do they happen yes. at liver time? Yes. There's something, you know, we have a lifetime of toxins 
in our liver. And the world we live in is not low in toxins. And as fetuses, we take on our mother's toxins. We take on our mother's mother's toxins. We, We do have a lot of substances in our body and many of them, the body doesn't even recognize enough to, like the immune system can't even recognize it to move it out. Oh, really? So, yeah, they're called forever chemicals. So how do we detoxify? How do we take care of our livers? And I'm looking at, I'm talking with gastroenterology specialists for detoxifying um, through, you know, gut health, because Mm -hmm. that's super important. If Mm -hmm. what's in the liver can't healthily go into the gut and get eliminated, you know, that's, that's step one. Yeah. And we're talking, I'm talking to, um, I'm still getting the speakers together, but I'll say it now and maybe I'll have some luck. Um, non-toxic cleaning products, the, the microfiber weaves that clean with just water. Yeah. Uh, I was working with a sauna company trying to get them to sign on. Um, detoxing the clutter, decluttering your home and exercise. Yeah. I mean, I have completely in the last five years thrown out all the makeup that I use that's got crap Mm -hmm. in it Mm -hmm. and just use very minimal and very, and natural stuff, which is easy in Australia because we're all kind of obsessed with all Aussies are like obsessed with detox, makeup, cleaning products. I might be able to find the cleaning people for you. Like there's heaps of stuff here because we're all so into it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So that is, I'm really excited about it because I I get to learn a ton too. I get to ask the questions that I can't answer and that I can't find answers to on my own. I get Mm. to work with these people. Mm. Um, Detoxifying relationships. Mm. Like what are we sweeping under the rug? How can we bring it out? Mm. Because like you said, the stress in the relationships, which is your um, field, Mm. that's huge that's just as important as diet and exercise and sleep massive you know and I think it's about like to me it's like conscious relationships how can we have more conscious relationships Mm -hmm. it's beautiful Mm -hmm. you know when you can deal I did a podcast uh, that came out last week actually with a colleague Moira who's in Scotland and we were talking about liberating the inner child and Mm -hmm. so much of it our inner child stuff shows up in our relationships where our needs weren't met when we were children and when we project that onto our partners and they're not our parents, they can't meet me. You know, this work's important. We have to learn how to parent ourselves and to be aware of that inner child part of us, find our empowered adult parts. And doing that work is amazing in partnership because you start to take more accountability and responsibility for your own behaviour And then when you can be with your own feelings and emotions, you have so much more capacity to support your partner, your children, like it helps you in every part of your life with your your clients, right? You can be with their responses. Yes. And and with dating, like I'm doing now, how can, how can we date without imposing expectations on the person that we are going out with? And, yeah, that's been really beautiful. And being being able to be open and honest with someone 
and knowing that if they can't be open and honest, then there's no reason going forward. And then dropping expectations and knowing that they're at a complete, you know, midlife dating is insane. Like everybody's had their life yeah. and their children and they yeah. have, we're, you know, dragging around a bunch of baggage and, and just knowing that their story is completely different. And can you just, can we just meet and come together and enjoy each other, enjoy each other's company? Yeah. And if it, if it goes on from there, that's great. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, then you've had a a beautiful connection. Mm, That's lovely. Yeah, it's certainly challenging. Um, I was out with some friends at a 50th back in May, and Mm -hmm. one of them was saying to me, she's dating. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, oh, there's all these really sad men. She's, She's hetero. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, yeah, so depressed and sad. And she's like, because we were talking about my work and what I do. And she was like, awesome. And she said, you know, I think for women, it's such a powerful time and they really come back to their authentic selves and their power. And I'm like, yeah, 100% agree. She said, but then I find the men are really sad. And I said, well, but I think they want that too. But, you know, in a way, menopause, even though it's a shit show for a lot of people, it gives us permission to kind of do that deep dive and everyone's like, oh, you know, she's going through a transformation. I'm like, well, men don't have that same kind of event that that kind of instigates that exploratory side of themselves and they just kind of bump along and, you know, there's no big kind of like, boom, sort it out. And there is andropause and, you know, depression can be a sign of low testosterone. Yeah. What can they do to... Get their testosterone up those lots. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for today. That's been a beautiful conversation. So I'm going to put your contact details in the show notes. And I just want to wish you well with your move and your new beginnings and your new life in Sedona. And it sounds sounds kind of really magical and like this new big path is opening up for you. really pleased for you thank you i wanted to live someplace where i felt like i was on vacation all the time i get that (laughs) 